It is so good to see you today, and it is so good to be back home, and it is so good to open up God's Word with you. Uh, We did take a road trip, and we basically drove all the way to Philadelphia to see Alexandra, and we went to Knoxville, Tennessee to see my in-laws, and all in the car, and we got back all in one piece. So it's a good thing, but I am so glad to be home, and I am so thankful that you had some amazing preaching when I was gone. And I am so thankful for our amazing staff and elders and, uh, and the team we have here at Grace. It's um, uh, a magnificent blessing. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew 20, but I don't want you to stand yet. I want to say a few things, kind of prepare the way here for where we're going. And I want to say this as it relates to, to shocking things. You're never really prepared for them. You're never really prepared for disaster. I mean, you can build a bomb shelter. You can, you can get an earthquake kit together and all that. But when it happens, you're, you're just kind of on your own. Now, there are a lot of things that are going on in the world today. I think about this last weekend. No one was ready for what happened in Aurora, Colorado. No one was ready for a, a mass gunman to storm into a movie theater and, and start shooting and then kill a bunch of people injure a bunch of people no one was you don't get ready for that you don't prepare for that no one was ready for planes to crash into the twin towers on 9-11 you don't prepare for that no one was ready for the holocaust no one was ready for the 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 slaughter of the innocents and it's always nice to get a little advance notice when something big is going to happen I mean, if you live in tornado country, you cannot ignore or escape the warnings. Tornado is coming, run for cover, and it's all over the news and your TV screen and your radio. Christ's disciples weren't really ready for the cross. And so Jesus is, what we're going to read about is that he's prepping them for what's to come. He's about to tell them the most amazing life-changing, shocking news ever. I mean, Jesus was telling them that he was going to die on the cross. To them, that was a disaster. But what he was giving them was really the most amazing thing that had ever happened. The best thing that ever has happened in the history of the universe and ever would. That's what he's telling them about. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 20 and stand with me. And we're going to read verses 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Lord God, we we thank you for your word and we thank you for your presence and we thank you for the privilege to be here and to read these words together. Lord, I, I ask you that you would give us new eyes and open hearts 
to see and to receive a, a very familiar story in a new light. Lord, may we see what you want us to see today. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is getting his disciples ready for what's next. His death is coming. His followers would feel defeated. They wouldn't know what hit them. They would feel like they were tied to the train tracks and the the train is hurtling towards them at breakneck speed. They would feel like they were about to go over the falls. They would feel and, and, and believe that their team is now broken up. Their Jesus cocoon about to be smashed. Their dreams were going to be shattered. They were about to lose their captain, their leader, their point guard, their quarterback, their mentor, their friend, their Lord. And it would come quick and it would come painful. And they needed to be prepared. We see in verse 17 here that Jesus takes them aside privately. These are words just for them. These are words just for the twelve. And he teaches them, he instructs them, he, he prepares them for what's next. He basically gives them a, a pregame pep talk. And he didn't just do it once. This is not the only time. If you've been with us in our exposition of Matthew, you know this is the third time, or you may have just read it in your Bible, the paragraph heading there, Jesus foretells his death for the third time. But this was not the first time Jesus said this. This was the third time he had told them. Each time... He adds a little more detail, building to this brief but but amazingly graphic and specific explanation that he gives of his suffering. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem to die a horrible death. Now that led some of that led Thomas to say, "Well, let's go with him and die with him." They weren't going to die with him; they were going to witness him being executed. Now, nothing could be further from their heart's desire. This is not what they wanted. This is not what they would have chosen. It was shocking. It was disaster to them. And Jesus understood how hard it was for them to receive these words. Think about how hard it was for Jesus to say them. This was not a public service announcement. This was a heartfelt Telling of what was to come and it, it wouldn't be pretty for a while. Now why would Jesus repeat himself a third time like this? Why would he do this? Now we know that repetition is good for learning. If you're still in school, you know that you're doing times tables and you're learning to write your name and things like that. If, if you're learning to drive, you know you've got to get in a car and kind of careen around a bit before you really get the hang of it. Repetition is good for learning. If you're learning to tie your shoes, you've got to practice for a while. Unless, of course, you have Velcro, right? Jesus wanted them to understand what was going to happen. So they would be prepared. He knew how hard it was for them to grasp this. He knew how mind-blowing this, this news was. Because the Jewish concept of the Messiah, the, the conquering Messiah, was so ingrained in their minds. They, they couldn't fathom a suffering servant. They were, they were still thinking conquering lion, not sacrificial lamb. 
who Jesus wanted his disciples to know so they would be prepared. He wanted them to know the truth that sets men free so they would be prepared to live it and proclaim it. This is what Jesus is doing. Now, what exactly is he telling them? I want to point out several things that Jesus is is really saying to them. And the first thing that, that Jesus was telling them is that the cross was going to happen. It was a done deal. It was God's eternal plan for the cross to happen. In verse 18, Jesus says, in the ESV it says, See, your Bible may say, Behold. It's it's one of Jesus' favorite words. We've seen it so many times in Matthew. I love this word. This is a word that's very special in the New Testament. And Jesus uses this word with precision, like like a surgeon with a scalpel. See, the word behold was a common way to call attention to something really, really important. This is basically Jesus' whistle. See, I can't whistle, but some of you can whistle really loud and get everyone's attention. This is Jesus' whistle. And here it shows his resolve to go to the cross, his conviction to go to the cross. This shows how sure the event was in the mind of God. We are going up to Jerusalem. Mark chapter 10, those that were with Jesus, Mark says that they were amazed, and it's not the kind of amazement that we would show. It's the type of amazement where you say, you've got to be kidding me. You're crazy if you're going to do that. That kind of amazement. And, and it says that they were fearful. You see, they thought it was foolish to go to Jerusalem. You're going to get killed. It's like in the Wild West, you say, don't go to town. The sheriff's going to shoot you. You, you broke the law. He's after, everyone's after you. Don't go to Jerusalem. They thought it was very unwise. They couldn't comprehend it. They, they didn't understand it. And things didn't change that much after the, after, the, after the cross and the resurrection. Fast forward a bit, and you've got Luke chapter 24, and Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Christ. And he has to remind the two men that he's speaking to, how, how, how can it be that you're so foolish and slow of heart to, to believe all that the prophets have said about me? Paul had to remind the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I, I, I gave you this as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures have told this. Revelation in chapter 5. We read of Jesus as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Verse 6. And verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. You see, ever, ever since Adam and Eve had fallen, God had a plan in motion and it had been in motion since before time began. Before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But ever since Adam and Eve had fell, God made it clear that the guilt and shame of sin had to be covered. And you might remember that, Jesus, that God made the coverings for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. There was, animals had to be sacrificed to cover their bodies, but it didn't cover their sin. God would provide a sacrifice in due time, much like he did for Abraham as he was going up the mountain with his son Isaac. And he provided a lamb for the sacrifice, a ram for the sacrifice. 
It was, it was just like the Passover. The Passover lamb had to be perfect. Well, God would provide the sacrifice, and the sacrifice had to be perfect. And what were the disciples doing going up to Jerusalem with Jesus? What did they know they were going to be doing? Celebrating the Passover with him. Little did they know they were traveling with the true Passover lamb. But the Old Testament had been very clear about it. The cross would happen. The psalmist says in in Psalm 22 that, that he would be pierced. The Messiah would be pierced. And that they would cast lots for his clothing. And that they would give him vinegar to drink. And that he would rise from the dead. Zechariah tells us that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that 30 pieces of silver would be the price that Judas would receive for betraying him. Tells us that he would be deserted. In Luke chapter 18, in this a parallel passage to the one we, we read in Matthew 20 and the one we're looking at, Jesus said they were going to Jerusalem so that everything that had been written about the Son of Man in the prophets would be fulfilled. John MacArthur said the Messiah's suffering and death were planned by our holy God ages before they were plotted in the minds of evil man. Long before any man thought of killing Jesus, our holy God had planned his death. The cross would happen. Notice with me in verses 18 through 19, three times the word will appears. Three times. We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the, to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised from the dead. Notice the authority of the wording. Notice the resolve in the wording. This is something that is going to take place. It's not a mere possibility. It is an assurance. It will happen. Jesus knew it was coming the whole time. Everything was planned ahead of time. He's omniscient. He knows Jesus here is prophetically promising his death and his resurrection. And he did this multiple times because he knew it was ordained. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was part of the Father's eternal plan. And he wanted his disciples ready when the time came. The cross would happen. The second thing Jesus was telling them, we see in verse 19, is that the cross would be painful and humiliating. The cross would be painful and humiliating. He, by the way, in verse 19, he calls himself, in verse 18, go back to verse 18, he calls himself the Son of Man. It's his favorite word for himself. When you see the Son of Man, you just read this, the divine suffering servant, God in the flesh who came to die for sinful man, the Son of Man. And he says that he would be betrayed. We know that was by someone close to him. Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend that you that you confided in? You know how much that hurts? He would be betrayed by one close to him and then delivered over. There would be a legal trial. And after being delivered over, he would be mocked. They would give him a mock crown of thorns and a a mock scepter and a mock robe and they would ridicule him and spit upon him. And they would scourge him. They would literally whip and beat him almost to death. The loss of blood would be almost to death and then he would be crucified and by the way crucifixion wasn't the only way they executed people back then it was just the worst 
and it was reserved for the worst. Isaiah 53 foretold the sufferings of Christ. In two, two verses I'll point out to you, Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men. And, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. It wasn't merely the physical pain of crucifixion, but it was also the compounded pain of rejection, of betrayal, of humiliation, and unjust guilt, taking upon himself the guilt that we incurred. So the cross was evil, but God used it for good. Al Mohler in answer to the question, why did what happened in Aurora, Colorado this last weekend happen, gives the, the, really, I think, the perfect response to all of life's evils. That evil is answered at the cross. He, he says, we must admit that there will be no fully satisfying answer to these questions in this life. Christians know that God is sovereign and that nothing is outside his control. We also know that he allows evil to exist and human beings to commit moral atrocities. We cannot allow the sovereignty of God to be denied and evil allowed its independent existence. Nor can we deny the reality of evil and the horror of its threat to be lessened. We are reminded that evil can be answered only by a cross. Theologian Henry Blotcher explains this truth in vivid terms. He says, Evil is conquered as evil because God turns it back upon himself. He makes the supreme crime, the murder of the only righteous person, the very operation that abolishes sin. The maneuver is utterly unprecedented. No more complete victory could be imagined. The Lord, like the supreme champion, replies by using the very grip of the opponent. The cross would happen. And it would be painful and humiliating. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is how he's preparing them for what is to come. But, there's a third thing that he's telling them, and and he's telling them that, that ultimately and very soon the cross would result in victory. Victory. That this was a part of God's purposes and his purposes never fail. And so on, in verse 19 he says, and he will be raised on the third day. And isn't it so easy for us to become calloused to these words? to think they're just commonplace, to think they're just mundane, to even think they might just be a bit boring. Jesus was telling them the most important thing in the universe. And it was shocking for them. And it was hard, it had to have been hard for Christ to say the words to these he loved. Can we even imagine how hard it would be to give this kind of news. Think of someone who needs to sit down and tell their family that 
the doctors said they're going to die really soon. And how much that would tear your heart. You've had people, some of you have had people need to give you that news. Some of you have had to give that news. But Jesus was saying that there would be victory. In the worst imaginable situation you could ever imagine, good would blossom out of it. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls the resurrection of Christ the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. C.S. Lewis in, in his book Miracles said that the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the, literally the pioneer of life. What, what Christ has done in rising from the dead is he has forced open the door that has been locked since since the first man died. And Jesus has met with, fought with, and beaten the king of death. On the third day he will rise. He did rise. So everything is different because of what he has done. J.R.R. Tolkien once wrote an essay in which he coined a, a new, new term. And the new term he coined was eucatastrophe. It's a weird word, I know, but eucatastrophe. And, and what it means is a, a good catastrophe. Euca meaning well or good. Uh, eucatastrophe, a good catastrophe. He, he called it the sudden joyous turn. The sudden and miraculous grace that does not deny the existence of sorrow and failure, but denies the universal final defeat and gives us a fleeting glimpse of joy. Tolkien said that the birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. And he said that the resurrection of Christ is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation of God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' resurrection was the ultimate undoing of the tragedy of sin. A eucatastrophe. Let me try to explain a little bit about this. Have you ever had a car that is just on its last legs? I mean, it's put together with duct tape and the, the lights are kind of falling off and it's leaking lots of oil like a sieve and, and the brakes aren't working very well and the check engine light's been on for a long, long time and it blows smoke all over one as you're driving on the road and you're always embarrassed by driving this car. But let's just say that one day someone hits you while you're driving this car and, and as soon as you figure out that everyone is okay, no one has been injured, that you are doing mental fist pumps because you're getting a new car. That's a eucatastrophe. Good coming out of a seemingly bad situation. 
Jesus wanted his disciples and he wants us to know how good the cross is. How good the resurrection makes our existence. He was prepping them for what was going to happen very soon. And they were going to go through an identification crisis. They were going to go through an ID crisis. They wouldn't know which end is up. They would lose their leader. He would be gone and they would start questioning. They would be gasping for air like someone with with asthma. And I had it when I was a kid. I know what it feels like. It's horrible. And it's even worse seeing your kid go through it. But they would need a spiritual inhaler. And these words that Jesus is giving them right now, that would be what they would need. This prediction, this, this sad and joyful word from Jesus, this really surreal message from Christ that he's given his disciples. Remember what side of the cross they were on? Not the one we're on. They weren't walking around with crosses around their necks. You stayed away from crosses. So Jesus was telling them some pretty unbelievable stuff. The dead being raised? Now they had seen Jesus do stuff on people. The blind seeing, the lame walking, the deaf hearing. They had even seen people brought back to life. They had seen supernatural stuff, and you don't forget that when you see that. But this one was was different. This was Jesus they're talking about. He's preparing them. He's preparing them for for the ordeal of the cross. During, while they're watching, when they're, they're tempted to lose hope and they're watching trials and, and false accusations and beatings and they're, they're processing betrayal through one of their own and denials on their own parts, they would need encouragement. These words would give them that. And he was preparing them for after the cross too when they would, when they would remember his words amidst the trials and opportunities of life and, and realize what had happened. When he tells them to go gather in Jerusalem and wait. When he's there with them at the ascension. He's prepping them the whole time to serve him wholeheartedly and to serve him unselfishly. To suffer with him courageously. Even to die. They were to remember, in 2 Timothy 2, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. They were to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. They were to preach that good news boldly. See, they were going up to Jerusalem on a lifelong missions trip. The mission for which Jesus was sent was was coming to, to a point. And their lives after that point would become a living testimony to the value of knowing God. They would be his ambassadors. This is what Jesus is aiming for as he's giving these very serious, serious words. We know what happened. We know what he did at the cross. 
And we know what he's done in the lives of millions of people. We know what he's done in our lives as a result of the cross and the resurrection. So if you take everything that Jesus says here, how do we take that personally? A lot of times you take something personally, it's a negative thing, but I mean, seriously, how do you take it into our lives? How do we take this personally and be affected by it deeply? How does it apply? What does it mean? We stand on this side of the cross and the resurrection, awaiting Christ's return. It's the same side of the cross the early church was on. It's the same side of the cross the reformers were on. It's the same side of the cross all who came before us in the faith were on. What does Jesus want for us? Well, just like he was preparing his disciples, he wants us to be ready for what's next in life. He wants us to be prepared and ready for what's next. I'll give you a few ideas of how this, how this applies and what this really means for us, what it might look like in our life. The first thing I'll mention is this, is in light of the fact that God has a plan and the cross was fixed, it was going to happen, what we need to do is what they needed to do. And it's permeate yourself with truth. Permeate yourself with truth with truth because God has a plan remember the cross was going to happen and it did and he wanted them permeated with that truth he wanted them slathered in the truth kind of like you would put sunscreen on a pale skinned child fair skinned child to prepare and protect for the sun's hostile rays well it was going to get tough and he wanted them ready well it's gonna, life is tough and Jesus wants you ready and it, it, you get ready by, by being permeated with his truth the best preparation 